Hello and welcome back to season three of Sequelizers, the show all about fixing bad sequels to good movies. If there's a good movie that was followed by a terrible sequel, you better believe we're going to try and fix it. Of course, I am your host, Jack Chambers, and joining me are the four men colloquially known as the two teams of titular Sequelizers. Mr. Matthew Stogden. Hey. And Tim Matum. Bonesaw is ready. (laughs) And their mortal enemies, Alec Plowman. I only trust two men, me and my barber. And Stuart Ashen. One for JJ. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. If you hadn't already guessed by the fantastic and appropriate quotes, this episode we're fixing something that is fairly near and dear to my heart and kind of broke my, what, 16-year-old heart at the time. We're talking about 2007's Spider-Man 3. The culmination of the perfect trilogy, some might say. Better (laughs) than the Godfather trilogy, right, Matt? Follows the same pattern. It does, yeah, yeah, very much so. I can't believe Sofia Coppola ruined Spider-Man 3. (laughs) So I guess I'll give you guys some context about why this film existed in the first place, and it's mostly studio pressure, because that makes great films, right, guys? Yay! Yay. Suicide Squad. Producers think what they know what they're talking about and just sort of pushing and pushing until the uh, director finally says, fine, fine. Until Raimi cracks. (laughs) That's always conducive of a positive working environment. Yeah, so Sam Raimi uh, was working with the Spider-Man 2 writer, Alvin Sargent, and they had come up with the rough idea that kind of centred around Sandman, which makes sense because Sandman is featured fairly heavily in this movie. And then Avi Arad, who showed up and was like, I have some of the rights to Spider-Man. Put Venom in it. He's cool. The kids like Venom. Mm-hmm. And Sam Raimi's like, yeah, but Venom's a bit lame, isn't he? He's a bit 90s. He's a bit like, oh, do I have to do Venom? I had this really cool like story of humanity and it kind of parallels Spider-Man with Sandman and had this cool idea put venom in it or you're not doing it and he's like fine fine and then Raimi and Sargent kind of came back together they originally planned to do it as two films and split the script in half but they couldn't find an appropriate midpoint to actually make it work so we got the garbled mess that we got that is Spider-Man 3 it's such a weird thing because Sam Raimi is such a 70s Spider-Man guy where he comes in from, well, 60s and 70s. He really comes in from sort of starting with Stan Lee and Steve Ditko through a John Romita, Jerry Conway. That's his era of Spider-Man stuff. And the instant you throw Venom his way, like like his first two Spider-Man films are so so indebted to that first 10 years of Spider-Man comics. And the Venom is just doesn't go with what he's doing in the first place the instant he's thrown in there he's the wrong guy to handle that character it's it's baffling well everything about it feels like an afterthought just the arrival of it all just yeah doesn't pan out i mean it's it's kind of easy to look at it now in our age of never-ending franchises and cinematic universes but i still can't understand why they tried to do all of venom in a single film and with other villains flying around because you have to, to in order to effectively tell and it's also why i can't understand how this new tom hardy venom film is going to work mm. oh we got that to look forward to in order to for the venom story to work you need to have the black costume t- turn up have it infect spider-man spider-man gets rid of it then it finds 
Eddie Brock or whoever you end up having it attached to. And that is a hell of a lot of distance to cover in a single film without even throwing in secondary or or tertiary villains. Especially when you consider that that took place over a period of years in the comic books. Like that was a... For a long time. It first shows up in Secret Wars in the comics and was an excuse to make cool toys and, hey, look, Spider-Man's got a black suit now. That's cool. New toy range, because that's all that Secret Wars was in 1985, I want to say. It also led to one of my favourite Spider-Man costume changes when he finally gets rid of the black costume. He goes to the Fantastic Four to get rid of it and then realising that because because the black costume can turn into his clothes in the comics, so he hasn't been wearing anything else, and so he has to borrow a Fantastic Four costume off of Johnny Storm and then put a paper bag over his head to conceal his secret identity. <laughs> Baghead Spider-Man. Yeah. Classic. Yep. So yeah, the real reason we have so many villains, like I said, it's it's kind of a combination of Raimi fighting for Sandman to be in the film and him trying to kind of tell the the three movie story that he wanted to tell with Harry Osborn and Peter Parker. The reason Harry Osborn is so heavily featured and he kind of sets that up at the end of two with Harry finding out that Peter is Spider-Man and then, oh, fuck it, amnesia in the third one. It's like, <laughs> but okay, fine. And it's unusual because Raimi wanted to tell that kind of continuous story. These These films don't particularly work well isolated like spider-man 3 doesn't really it works even less without the context of the first two and raimi was trying to do this three-story arc and telling this one continuous story which is quite unusual you think of like the marvel cinematic universe and how they're mostly isolated stories they reference each other but you can easily watch black panther without having seen anything else you can easily watch spider-man homecoming and be like oh that's iron man it doesn't really matter like the the consequences of other films don't necessarily carry on but Raimi's plan was to do that and have those characters matter from film to film to film. Well, he was the first director to do a complete trilogy of a superhero film. Everyone done one, well, ever. A lot of people had done the first two and then got yes. shifted off. Yeah. It. But yeah, he was the first to do all three. And it feels like it because it feels like a progressive story, as you've said. And what we have now very much with, with well, I say, I say now, I don't count the DCU and other franchises in this. And we're talking really about the MCU and less even the Fox stuff with, with X-Men Universe. Really, it's the idea of adapting and really adopting the comic style sequential story episodic nature of it. So the story carries on and you, you can't really just step in and say, oh, Spider-Man 3, I wonder how that's going to be. I'll, I'll just start here. No, 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 no. I mean, yes, okay, they have the ever-expanding title sequences, which is really good in 2 yeah. and really shit in 3. <laughs> I don't know how it's so bad done, but it's, it's the idea that it's just like, oh, here's a flashback of what happened you know, previously, almost like uh, the old serials kind of thing. I think it's an interesting thing because, as I said, Sam Raimi's writing comes... Uh, Sam Raimi's influence again comes from a time in the comic books where it was very much that and it was very much back in an era before things were retconned a lot and when characters aged and when that's obviously what he's drawing from that 60s and 70s period because we get to that weird thing with Peter Parker where he gets to he gets out of college and then he's just like 23 for the rest of his life (laughs) but for the first 10 years of Spider-Man you go through that progression and Sam Raimi very much comes from that. So, it, it, again, it feels very true to the old Spider-Man comics in that sense, in the way that he he writes. Yeah, but the third one is, it's just confusing. It's such a classic example of too many cooks spoiling the broth and somebody having a very clear vision and then somebody else going, but we want this. Which is a theme we've discussed a few times on this show before, of having Studio Sharp and be like, no, you have a vision. 
change that vision. It's a terrible vision. <laughs> Stop having ideas, creative person. Yeah, we, we trust Let us you, control. But we're not actually going to trust you that much because we now think that there's too much money involved. It's like exactly. You didn't previously. Exactly. It's, it's an interesting one as well because Spider-Man, when you think about it, was really the movie that broke the idea of the superhero movie into the mainstream market. I mean, I know you had X-Men beforehand, but you, and, you know, and X-Men was a moderately successful film, but Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man was the movie that really went, okay, Marvel comic movies are a thing now because that first Spider-Man movie was absolutely huge. And, and it's interesting because we talked about the second one in the best sequels episode because it really is... It's such a strong sequel, and I, I still think it's the best Spider-Man movie ever made. I think it's arguably one of the best superhero movies ever made, if not the best superhero movie ever made. It was such a high point, that second Spider-Man film. It was such a confident movie from such an assured director who knew what he was doing, and I just think it told a great story. It, it used... It used its characters really well. It felt suitably comic booky in a way that other comic book movies hadn't done while still feeling sincere. And I think that it, there was also that huge weight of expectation on the basis of that, and then, which I think is also part of what made this such a, a crushing disappointment. Yeah, and it's not just the fact that it's stuffed full of too many damn villains to actually tell the story properly. You've got the bizarre retconning of, it turns out it was the Sandman who was there when Uncle Ben was killed. Like, why? That seems overwrought and unnecessary. You've got a lot of personal stuff going on with Parker and Harry Osborn and that anyway. It always seems that, a very odd That move. feels entirely to bring in the Venom stuff, because if you're going to do Venom, you need the black costume needs to affect Peter's, you know, psyche, and, psyche yes, yeah. and that's a way of getting him to pushing him to be in a more violent place. So I think if you'd have got rid of Venom, you wouldn't have had that retcon. And that makes perfect sense. In both senses, the film would be better for it. Yeah, absolutely. And it also leads us into the dreaded Peter Parker black costume. Oh. He's gone all emo and kind <laughs> of evil. And we'll, we'll dig we'll on get, this. We'll we'll dig into that in a moment. But um, before we get to why it needs sequelizing. Let me give a little quick synopsis for everybody. If you've saved yourself and you haven't seen Spider-Man 3, I will do my best to synopsize it for you now. Peter Parker has finally managed to piece together the once broken parts of his life, maintaining a balance between his relationship with Mary Jane and his responsibilities as Spider-Man. But more challenges arise as Peter's old friend Harry Osborn is set out for revenge, now taking up the mantle of his late father's persona as the new Goblin. Peter must also capture Uncle Ben's real killer, Flint Marco, who has been transformed into the Sandman. All hope seems lost when suddenly Peter's suit turns jet black and greatly amplifies his powers. But the new symbiotic suit also amplifies the darker qualities of Peter's personality, and he begins to lose himself to it. Peter has to reach deep inside himself to free the compassionate hero he used to be if he is ever to conquer the darkness within and face not only his greatest enemies, but also himself. Dun, 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 dun. It was shit. It sounds quite dramatic and interesting from that synopsis. And I've got, I've got to say, like, it never really conveys when he gets the black costume. I know that there's a bit where he's like, oh, I feel stronger and faster. It never feels in the film. Stronger, yeah. He no. just, he just acts like. Like, he goes from like I, 7 out of 10 to like 8 out of 10. Yeah, he doesn't go to 11. When you were reading yeah, the synopsis yeah. and it was like greatly enhances, like, 
did it really? Yeah. I don't remember it doing it anything. Do, but it yeah. doesn't really. Like some random supplement from the internet. So, yeah. He's <laughs> super strong and super fast and super got web shooters and stuff anyway. And, and so super like... Bee Gees. <laughs> I also think there is a big problem with, and again, in terms of the tonal shift of Sam Raimi being so grounded in a particular era, then having to go to the Venom thing. I always found it weird that it's like, oh, there's kind of alien stuff now in this Spider-Man universe. Well, the original plan sudden. was to have Mary Jane's ex-boyfriend, John, J. John Jameson's son, oh, yes. bring it back with him That's from right. space and having it right. tying into the universe. Okay. Which makes sense. And they were like, oh, we couldn't get him back. Uh, fuck it, Meteor, that'll do. Meteor in a park, it'll be it fine. It literally just next and doesn't it? Yeah. It's like, wow. And just crawls onto his bike, into his bag, it'll be fine. But that's the sort of character that you could recast. Right? So yeah. easily. Name the actor who played J. Jonas Jameson's son. So look, who he's knows? just got to have a flippin' name tag on his suit, and then we Turns know out it was is. Idris Elba. <laughs> you don't even need to see his face. It could just be like a clip of the ship, and then, oh, you know, it's the little thing, and then yeah. you don't even need him in the shot. I was going to say, about recasting, there was a point in time in Spider-Man 2 where they were going to recast Tobey Maguire because he had like a lot of back pain issues, apparently. Yes. Um, so Seabiscuit. Injury yeah. during Seabiscuit. Yeah. yeah. Fucking a horse. You can That's be right. Spider-Man, but get injured doing sea biscuit. <laughs> there's a because there's an in joke in it when he, I think it's when he, not when he l- initially loses his powers, but like a second time when they fail or something, yeah. and he falls off a building and hits himself, and he like waddles away, kind of going, "Oh my back!" And like that was a little in joke that they th- threw in there to be. I reference his I, own. I like better that it was an outtake and they just kept in old, yeah. old man Toby <laughs> Maguire just waddling along. Walk it off, Toby. <laughs> I must say, I, obviously, I when we did the great sequels episode, I was presenting uh, Spider-Man 2, and it is a film I absolutely love. But re-watching it recently, you can see the seeds of a couple of things that Sam Raimi doesn't do particularly well that I think get worse and worse in Spider-Man 3. One of them is dialogue. Like I think part of it is because he is so, like you say, rooted in the 60s and 70s Spider-Man comics, which weren't known for their particularly great dialogue. Like, God bless Stan Lee, not the world's best writer of teenagers. And the other thing is, I don't know what it is. It might be that it's a second unit director or something, but there is something about the way that extra, like minor characters are shot or do their acting in sa- in the Spider-Man films that makes them feel so weird. There's there's so many moments in it where a camera will like linger too long on a background character or they'll deliver their line in a really odd way and yet in Spider-Man 3 it just gets worse and worse. Yeah, I don't know what it is whether it's Sam Raimi whether it's someone else doing it, who knows. It, it feels like one of those callbacks or at least fallout of Evil Dead. Like Army of Darkness, mm-hmm. especially when you're like, what, what the fuck are we doing? And you realize it's just because Raimi's having a good time. But yeah. I don't think that's the case here. The idea of Raimi having a good time or not, I think the other problem for him was he basically made these three films back to back without a break. Yeah. Production on Spider Man 3 started before Spider Man 2 was in cinemas. Yeah. That's how back to back these productions were. He said he couldn't make four. That's one of the reasons four was yeah. cancelled because he said, I can't make a 2011 deadline, I think it was. Well, he then just kind of stopped doing movies for quite a while after that i think and if you ever the spider-man 2 dvd is one of those amazing dvds that came out at the time when dvd was a huge thing and extra features were a huge thing and it's got like six hours of feature length documentaries and if you watch him in that just during the production of that i mean he looks unwell it's a real 
like and you see the kind of schedule they were working on it was absolutely punishing and i think it was kind of felt like they needed uh, he needed some breathing space there that he didn't get and i wonder if that's why as you said all of these weaker characteristics then end up being amplified because there really is just no time to iron out the kinks like sam raimi got a black suit of his own in it his (laughs) darkest qualities as well yeah Yeah. and i mean there's there's nothing as creative as like the moment in spider-man 2 when the tentacles come alive and we get that great little evil dead sequence it does very much feel like he's on autopilot when it comes to three which is no surprise like you say it's a grueling schedule for anyone yeah i think there's really only one arguable scene that everyone goes yes that's fucking good there's no very few people will say that's a bad scene and that's when sandman is first constructed uh, it's a classic like monster origin it story really almost, is. isn't it? yeah and yeah. the music's very beautiful and it's very nicely done but i think they actually started working on those ideas from the fucking get-go the first thing they were researching is sand how does it move how do we get the scene how do we get they the had a done? whole team researching like literally throwing sand into the yeah. wind and researching yeah. he took three years to construct in cgi because they studied so intensely how sand moves when it's swept up in wind and because he's not like controlling the sand a lot of the time and it's just like falling off of him and stuff and they had to program all this sand gravity and stuff it just sounds like the cgi it doesn't look great by modern standards but at the time people were like that's a good special effect that is a visually interesting he's by far the most interesting part of this movie and you can tell that's what Raimi was most interested. We were just talking, Alec, you were just talking about how disinterested he was the whole time. And you can tell Sam Raimi's like, I want to do a Sandman movie. He's the humanity. He is the interesting component of these fucking villains. Oh, we got to do Venom. Fine, let's do Venom. And he does absolutely look like he's just stepped off of the comic book page. Yes. Like he looks yes. at like striped jumper. The striped jumper <laughs> and like. Thomas Hayden Church, yep. is it? Yep. Yeah, he is spot on casting. He's great, and and I think that you know the the CGI maybe doesn't hold up completely, but I think that sequence where he first slurps together after being sandified, I I can remember seeing that in cinemas and just being blown away. And I think it's still it's still a pretty impressive sequence. I think it's an interesting thing as well when you talk about things that were added to this movie, things that were taken away that. Harry Osborne's convenient amnesia Ugh. very much Ugh. feels like a we need to get him out of the way for a while because we have to deal with this other crap. So we can't have him come back into it until... And that's that's a step too far. Because it is an interesting... Spider-Man 2 almost writes itself into a hole there because the idea that Harry Osborne knows from the get-go in this movie that Peter Parker is Spider-Man and believes that Peter Parker killed his dad and Harry Osborn is in a position of such power that there is no reason that he can't destroy Peter Parker. So it's a big question of how do we get around that? And I'm sure that there was an interesting idea for that somewhere and that that got well, completely... bang his head yeah. on some pipes, he'll be fine. Chuck him down an alley, he'll be all right. And then and then we'll have the butler reveal that he's... Uh... Yeah, talk about convenience, fucking hell. <laughs> I dressed your father's wounds, it came from his glider. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> <laughs> have you been here the whole time? <laughs> How does he know about the glider? Why is he in on the scene? Why is, why is he Willem Dafoe's Alfred? Like, thanks, yeah. yeah, thanks, anti-Alfred. <laughs> yeah. evil, evil Alfred. When I was in Burma, I came across a Greek goblin who flew around <laughs> on a glider... This was characteristic of that. Spider serum madness, we called it. <laughs> Master Osborne, 
He shows he shows up again. He shows up in not again, but he shows up in Spider Man Two and delivers another really stupid line. It's it's when Harry is like drinking or something, and and he just sort of goes, "Whenever your father was obsessed, it was only with the work, sir, or so, something along those lines." And it's another it's fuck off. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes, Master Osborne, I imagine myself in a cafe in Italy drinking a very specific glass of wine, and I hope that I see you there and you do not recognise me. But it never bloody happens. His, his name, by the way, is, is Bernard Houseman. Oh, <laughs> fuck! The man of the hell. house. So we got Sandman, Spider-Man, and Houseman. <laughs> I am the Houseman. I look after your house, Mr. Osborne. Is it like House Moving Castle? <laughs> house on legs, just wandering around. There's a family around. living inside him at all times. <laughs> I wish that would be an amazing spider just a Bernard House man. He 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 uh he opens up his shirt and all of Peter's Eastern European landlord and his family like come leaping out, <laughs> come crawling out. The Dinkoviches. <laughs> what are you doing here? Rent. <laughs> oh god. And speaking of like tertiary characters, another person that was pushed to, to be well, one other character that was pushed to be featured was Gwen Stacy to create this kind of love triangle thing. Yeah, in the that's southern. just what this needed. More characters. And more characters. Yeah. Poor Bryce Dallas Howard gets absolutely nothing to do. And she's not terrible, but she's just not really there. And that she has no kind of competition with Mary Jane. But there's this implied love triangle that never really goes anywhere. And she's just, as Tim mentioned earlier, like these extended shots of her just reacting to stuff for no reason because you don't know who she is. Just a blonde woman in the corner. It's really weird. It's a, it's a big problem introducing that character so late in the day as well because Gwen Stacy being there makes sense if Peter Parker hasn't yet been in a by now years long relationship. He's engaged with, to Mary yeah, Jane and yeah, shit, yeah. They're about to get married. Like, do, do they get married at the end of this film? I think they They must. all die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Horribly. Of food poisoning. Good film. Um, <laughs> Curse you house man! <laughs> you poisoned them all at their wedding. Yeah, the whole point of the Gwen Stacy dying thing is that she was Peter's first love that is then taken away from him. So he then has he finds Mary Jane as the the thing to like move on and start and anew with and stuff like that. Having her just introduced as like the other girl who he might fancy completely negates the importance of that character and the the dynamic that she has with Peter. She's just kind of there. Like so sometimes she's literally just stood to the side of the action going. Oh no, there's action happening. There's explosions and buildings and a Sandman and stuff. <laughs> great, great impression, Buster. You're welcome. <laughs> Bryce, if you're listening, we're sorry. <laughs> she, uh, she's not listening. She's right here, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Shit! If I'd Mission Impossible myself, <laughs> I was going to say the, uh, the, um technically, for, uh, I believe this is correct, in the early drafts of what was going to be Spider-Man 3, there was a love triangle relationship that was set up. And for the longest of time, they were working on the idea of it. And again, I think the producers stepped in and said, we have a female character. She's called Gwen Stacy. And I think again, Raimi was like, well, I've got this idea for a character, but you know, a love triangle thing, but I don't know who to plan it down to. And they said, well, make Gwen Stacy. And as, as you said, I like... People know Gwen Stacy. Put her in yeah, the but it's like People know Venom. People know Gwen. Yeah. Put them in. Put them it's in. It's such a mistake. Because I think... The thing is, it's like it's such a backward ass about face 
nice way of doing something. But also as well, from what I understand of it, there was going to be Ben Kingsley as the Vulture. As the Vulture, yeah. And yep. Anne Hathaway as Felicia. What's her face? Oh, no, no, no. no. The Spider-Man 4 is Anne Hathaway as the Black Cat and John Malkovich as the Vulture. Ooh. Originally, it was going to be Ben Kingsley as the Vulture and oh, it was to be Vulture and Sandman in Spider-Man yes, 3, No correct, Venom. Yes, yeah, yeah that's right. and, and I don't know what the plan was with Harry. Originally, Ben Kingsley was Vulture in 3, yeah. but they didn't end up using him. And they actually almost went into production with Spider-Man 4, and it all came crashing down at the last minute. And Anne Hathaway was literally cast and announced as Felicia Hardy. The original theory was that she was going to be the Vulture-S and going to be John Malkovich's daughter. But then they kind of scrapped that and turned out she was the Black Cat all along. But none of that actually happened. But that was the plan for Spider-Man 4. And they were like, ah, fuck it, here's Andrew Garfield. Like, oh, so why God. why didn't Spider-Man 4 happen? Was it because of the bad response to Spider-Man 3? No. Spider-Man 3 is the highest grossing Spider-Man film of all time. Okay. Oh. Nearly $900 million at the box office. It did incredibly well. Is that well. just the families of all the people who played the villains? <laughs> It did really surprisingly well. It does much better than Spider-Man 1 and 2 and even still better than Homecoming and Amazing Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man 2. It's still the highest grossing Spider-Man movie. But basically, Raimi couldn't agree with them and just, I was like, I can't do this anymore. And the studio kind of just gave up after a while. There was arguments about the rights going back and forth and I think they were due to renew them at some point and Avi Arad was going back and forth with certain studios. He wanted to do... I think he wanted to do a Venom thing, almost like a prequel on the symbiote planet or something, which is a thing in the comics. You're welcome. Planet, And he was going to do like a Carnage Venom thing. And then they were like, no, we'll do this Vulture. And and Raimi came up with this Vulture Black Cat kind of duo. And then it all kind of, I think they either ran out of money or ideas or energy or all three. And they were just like, oh, fuck it. Let's just reboot it. It's just too much. Tobey Maguire's old. Everyone's old and tired. Let's just get young people in. Go and go and find a guy with Webb in his name. That'll do. <laughs> First of all, this what is this franchise's obsession with casting lead actresses with the wrong colour hair? A blonde has a redhead and a redhead has a blonde. Yes, Yay. and then Anne Hathaway is the black cat with yeah. white hair. I can't imagine what a Spider-Man 4 with the same cast would have been like. Because tired it just, as fuck. T- yeah, beyond <laughs> tired as fuck. Because as bad as Spider-Man 3 is, it feels like the end of a story. Um, yes. It feels like the conclusion to, like you say, the arc that that Raimi had been planning, you know, to follow, and and like you say, like Toby Maguire, and does not really feel like a. I mean, having him be a high schooler in the first film is kind of ridiculous yeah. to start with, and he doesn't feel particularly youthful. Yes, but then they then do cast thirty-year-old Andrew Garfield. Yes, like, <laughs> what but he looks younger. You and it's fine. He does look young, but he's still and 13. he skateboards. He's <laughs> yeah, skateboard, cool. Oh, yeah. So, the little game we like to play on here, Rotten Tomatoes percentage guesses. I've got all three Spider-Man films, so let's start with three, Spider-Man 3. I'll go around the room and uh, we can kind of guess Spider-Man 3 and then we'll go through the other films as well. Alec, you up first. I'm going to go fairly high. I'm going to go 65. Okay, okay. Stuart Ashen? 55. Tim? 70. Matthew? No, fuck it. 61, 62? 62. Matt's the closest just at 63% with an average of 6.2 out of 10. Any guesses for Spider-Man 2? Oh, fucking hell. If 3 is 63, it's no no spoilers, it's higher than that. (laughs) 94%. Okay, okay. I'm going in at 92. 89. I'm going 95. 
Plauschen's equal is 93. Oh! <laughs> uh, with an average of 8.3 out of 10. Yeah. And 2002's, the original Spider-Man. Any guesses there? Is it higher or lower or somewhere in the middle? I, what do you guys think? I think 85. Okay. I think 81. Okay. I'm going to go 82. I'm going to stick there as well and say 84 because my birth year and why the fuck not? It's 89%. Oh. So we go... In in chronological order, it goes 89%, 93%, 63%. So there's a definite drop, as is sequelizer tradition. Yeah, <laughs> it's, still, it's not quite as big of a high. drop as we expect. Usually we have like a 50% drop, mm. or in the case of Mulan, a 90% drop, whatever that is. But it's still pretty bad. Like a 30% drop between two and three is still pretty bad, which is about the same as The Godfather, because The Godfather 2 is like 96 or something like that, isn't it? And then it, it drops down to the 60s for Godfather 3. I think this is one of those films where the reputation has worsened over time. Absolutely, absolutely. Because I remember reading the reviews at the time and going, okay, so people are saying this aren't as good, this isn't as good as the second one. But we see, I'm seeing a but fair what, amount what is of as three as stars. One, as, yeah, as I'm earlier, seeing yeah. it's still going to be all right, surely. Yeah. And then going in and just as a Spider-Man fan being like, this is horrible, this is awful. And I think that's also a big part of it is when people who really liked Spider-Man saw it, there was that big thing of, you are shitting all over this. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's interesting to think about it at the time because it came out in 2007, which was just before both Iron Man and The Dark Knight. And I think if you look back at critics back then, there was probably still not an idea of like how good a superhero movie could be. And so this was probably treated a little bit better because a lot of critics will look at us, especially at the time, would have looked at a superhero movie and gone, well, they're all just explosions and stuff for kids anyway. I think we were also at an interesting point then when I very much remember feeling, uh, reading lots of things of people saying, well, superhero movies are kind of on the way out because, look, you've had two Fantastic yep. Fours. Yep. And yeah. You've had Ghost Rider at this point, And it's like... I think you've also got to put it in the context of some of the utter shite that was out there at that time as well. Because superhero, some superhero movies really were scraping the barrel yeah. at that point in in time. We talk about the the stuff released peripherally. That was the year of the threequel. It was like a major novel thing that that summer they released Shrek 3, Pirates of the Caribbean 3, and Spider-Man 3. And it was like, oh my God, it's such a huge thing. And they're all classics. And they're, well, they're all fucking, yeah, tanked. Horrible. Well, they didn't tank. They all made tons of fucking money. That's yeah. the thing. They made so much money, but they were all shit. Just to, to share a personal anecdote from my experience of seeing Spider-Man 3, I was in America at the time and I went to see it at... I think it was the first time I'd ever probably been to like a, an, an IMAX screen. And this was an absolutely ridiculously huge screen. And because I had not been able to impress upon my housemates, like, oh, we need to get there early because it's going to be busy. So we went to see it, you know, fairly opening weekend or whatever. I think we got there about three minutes before it started. And I had to sit on the second row back and watch Toby Maguire emote at me <laughs> from about three stories tall. 30 foot yeah. Toby Maguire. <laughs> oh, Peter. So there was definitely, when I first saw it, an experience of like, I don't know how good it would be 
if I if I watched it in a manner that wasn't <laughs> like projected onto a side of a building two foot from me. Because I, I saw Spider-Man 2 as one of the first films I saw as a, in inverted commas, critic. That was um, a great film and it was a great experience because there were so few people in and just enjoyed it. The same thing happened with Spider-Man 3 and I'd become very jaded at that point. <laughs> <laughs> um, and everybody had sort of gone, <sighs> yeah... And those, because most of the time these things you don't tend to converse with each other you sort of walk away maybe share like a bit of a nod like oh it was good but I'm not telling you what I think in case you steal it but at the same time there was just this look of around the room this shared look of oh this is this has gone in the toilet but I don't necessarily think the viewing public gave a shit because while we're talking about Spider-Man fans and critics and the like families still went to the film and thought oh wow Spider-Man this is great and it didn't matter well, the thing with Spider-Man is that he also has a very young kids audience, and young kids have different priorities when it comes to these things. I still think they were failed and let yeah, down. Yeah, I think I think everybody it, was failed by Spider-Man yeah, Three. But they were, I mean, not like... least Sam Raimi. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> so here's a question: Which is worse, Spider-Man Three or Amazing Spider-Man Two? Amazing Spider-Man Two. Oh, yes, Amazing uh... Spider-Man Two. I hate both of those films. Especially the second one. The second one is abysmal. I'm interested that we all seem to be in agreement. I'd say it's a dead heat for me. I think they're both terrible. And I I really don't like either of them. I mean, Spider-Man 3 is, of course, a mess. But there's something weirdly hateful about Spider-Man 2. That I, or Amazing Spider-Man 2, sorry. That I really just couldn't get on with. I think Amazing Spider-Man 2 takes it to a new level of cynicism. As far as attempting to set uh, his brazen attempt at setting up a look sinister six the stuff in the dungeon look look he's got a lab oh, look his wings and shit i wrote a review where i actually embrace your fucking selves like amazing spider-man uh, we've had this conversation and before Matthew, and i still and I hate you for it. like the amazing spider-man films and fuck all you in the audience and fuck all of you here the only the re- good the, the only good thing about those is yeah. Stone and Garfield. That's what I was about to chemistry. say. I find their chemistry so redeeming that I genuinely didn't care about, as you say, the brazen uh, franchising, all the stuff, the Giamatti being ridiculous as Rhino. I didn't care because I was like, I love this couple so much. And then when uh, she dies in Spider Man 2, Spoilers. Amazing Spider Man 2. I no, said about no, one, that no one's going to watch it. <laughs> um, we, we literally, there is literally no reason to watch the Amazing Spider-Man films at all. You watch the, the first Raimi ones because they're good. Well, the first two. And then you watch the new stuff because it's all tied in the MCU. There is no reason to go to the Amazing Spider-Man stuff. But I think Sony being desperate all behind the scenes and just pushing and pushing and pushing and, and pressing upon Webb to make this film the way he's doing it. With like, oh, we need to make secrets. And about his father. It's like, who gives a shit? But Give I, him an underground railroad lab for some reason. Yeah, exactly. For no reason. And I must admit, I, I, about the Amazing Spider-Man, one thing I was like, give fucking Lizard a snout. I don't like snoutless lizards. Oh, yeah. It's a Goomba from Super Mario. It really yeah. is. But the, the second one, I don't mind. I genuinely think it's a half-decent film. I like Zimmer's stuff with the music. It's There's some really redeemable qualities. And I would wage, I would say it's a better constructed film than Spider-Man 3, personally. See, I would argue that Spider-Man 3, for all its mess and excess and chaos, it at least understands what Spider-Man is about. And both of those Spider-Man films fundamentally don't understand Spider-Man. They take a very cynical view of the character and the properties. And also, like, Peter Parker doesn't really have an arc in them. (laughs) Peter Parker isn't really in those. It always feels like it's just Spider-Man, yeah, all the time. I would say if you could merge Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker with Andrew Garfield's 
quipping Spider-Man. Yes. yes. Which I would believe is probably Tom, Tom Holland. Holland. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we can all agree on one thing. They're better than those TV movies from the 70s. Uh, I, I, must admit, I disagree. I, yeah. I, I like <laughs> no. the, uh, the Japanese Spider-Man. Uh, with oh, the, oh we've got giant a giant mech. mech. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and of yeah. course, when they did the Spider-Verse comics, which were sort of alternate versions of mm. Spider-Man, Gerard Way of uh, My Chemical Romance wrote basically a canon comic version of the Japanese Spider-Man where oh, he wow. has a giant mech. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wasn't there a character in it called Dr. Monster? It something? wouldn't surprise me. I can't remember. but uh... Probably. Probably. So, should we get on some team names and Let's elevator pitches, gentlemen? Mm. Stuart and Alec, I'll come to you first. Our team name? Sam Raimi needs a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Cast an elevator pitch, themes, all that good stuff you hit me with, please, sirs. Our film is titled Spider-Man. Okay. Ooh. Very interesting. The other one was Spider-Man Legacy. Just in case you're wondering, kids. Bye now. Bye. And our film will be released in November 2015. <sighs> what the fuck? Interesting. November specifically. Specifically November. The director... Will be Mr. Sam Raimi. I thought he had a holiday. (laughs) He said, We needs a holiday. (laughs) We're not letting him have one. (laughs) He needs one, but he's had one. It's 2015. He's had a few years off. Yeah, 11 years of holiday. Dragging himself to hell. Does he still direct that (laughs) god awful fucking Wizard of Oz prequel? Oh, God, that was Sam Raimi, wasn't it? Please stop reminding me of that. Because I managed to banish it from my head. (sighs) That is one of the most miserable cinema experiences I ever had. It is also exactly the same plot as Army of Darkness. Holy God, it is. Shit. Monkey and all. Yeah. Okay, before we all get sucked into a vortex of hell and, and terrifying memories, continue. <laughs> Thank you. Our returning cast, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, played by Tobey Maguire. Mary Jane Parker, played by Kirsten Dunst. Mr. Miles Morales will be portrayed by Dexter Darden. You may know from the Maze Runner series. He is mm. Frypan in the Maze Runner, and he is also in the film Joyful Noise. Aaron Davis will be portrayed by Donald Glover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man Homecoming there, yeah, nice tie together. Jefferson Davis will be played by Michael Jai White. He's fucking Spawn! Yeah. Yes! Yeah. He's in the Dark Knight. He's also he? Black Dynamite. Well, yes, he is. Black Dynamite, yeah. absolutely, yeah. And Rio Morales will be played by Jennifer Lopez. Boom. Shit. Music by Danny Elfman, of course. Elevator pitch. It is a decade since Peter Parker hung up his Spider-Man costume for the last time, but will the emergence of a new web-slinger force the old Spidey out of retirement? Ooh, interesting. I'm going to guess yes. (laughs) (laughs) He just just hangs out in like a business suit for two hours. Spoiler, Spawn turns up and kills everyone. (laughs) I wish. Is this going to be the classic it's a super bad movie so we're going to write it about Batman. It's a Spider-Man movie we're writing about fucking sport. It's Predator therefore it's Alien versus Predator. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, nice. Shit. Tim and Matthew. Team names, film titles, cast and elevator pitch and all that good stuff please sirs. Thank you. Our team name is My Secret Copier. Mm. So... <laughs> What? <laughs> All the best jokes need a thorough explanation. <laughs> yep. What? So basically, we were discussing things that we didn't like about Spider-Man 3. 
It was a lengthy conversation. Not enough Xerox. <laughs> <laughs> and we were talking about Gwen Stacy. And I said, is this a line I just didn't understand? And Tim said, I don't think so. And we played the scene and thought, yeah, what the fuck does that mean? So at one point, there is a crane malfunctioning in the background of a high rise. And Gwen Stacy's having some sort of somewhat sexy shoot for photography <laughs> website, sure, website yep. magazine, something. I don't know. Anyway, and then the crazy British photographer says... Gwen, I've got a secret. It's my copier. And then says, what's that crane doing in my background? I said, <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> I've got a secret. It's, it's my, my copier. copier. <laughs> what? Okay, Gwen, I've got a secret. It's my copier. What is that thing doing in my background? And so I, we, we sat there for a while. Like, is it a pun? Does it, mycopia? Is that something? <laughs> <laughs> is that a disease in his penis? And then she's like, it was like seductively leaning over a photocopy. I was like, I don't get it. So we're my secret copier. You don't need to get it. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a crane in the background. <laughs> the best jokes are the ones where you have to explain them, and the explanation still doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one. It's cool. one of those Sam Raimi, yeah. tertiary character what the fuck moment. I don't know if this is true or not. I heard that guy who plays the photographer, Bryce Dallas Howard says on the um, DVD commentary about how he was a magician at a birthday party when she was a kid. That is, that is correct. Is that, yeah, that's correct. <laughs> Fucking hell. She was also very pregnant in this movie. She was, yeah. And got quite badly injured. But yeah, she she had some injuries from stunts and stuff and everybody was quite worried. Yeah. I, I'm now thinking that my secret copy of thing might be an in-joke between her and uh, uh, the magic party that I don't... Well, the amount, the amount of weird shit that got in dialogue-wise, I mean, the, the line Tough for Grace is of uh, my spider sense is tingling, if you know what I mean. As like, yeah. so apparently said, that, oh yeah, Toph had the idea to do that. It's like, yeah, no shit. No writer would fucking write that. It's awful. <laughs> we'll be calling our film Spider-Man 3. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> <laughs> Shock horror. The release year will be 2007, three years after Spider-Man 2. The director is Zack Snyder. Wow. It's not Zack Snyder. Oh, <laughs> well, I was about to say, you lose, motherfucker. about to get my oh. earplugs out. Jesus. Oh, Christ. We thought we'd go for a gritty Lots tone. Lots of slow motion. <laughs> the director, a bit of a, bit of a change up here. We've given Sam Raimi a break, a holiday, if you will. <laughs> oh, you bastards. <laughs> yeah. And we've uh, brought on, he's done Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, School of Rock, Scanner Darkly, doesn't do Before Midnight in Boyhood, Richard Linklater. Ooh. We think this is going to play in very heavily to just basically characterization and bringing something really core into the characters. And I approve. Emotional heft. Yes. So returning cast, we have Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. He doesn't slash Spider-Man. He, that's, that's how they, they write it. He pisses Spider-Man out. That's the main story arc. Oh <laughs> Spider-Man no more. It's yep. a weird old symbiote suit. <laughs> Kirsten Dunst as Mary Jane Watson. James Franco as Harry Osborn. J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. Rosemary Harris as May Parker. And Dylan Baker as Dr. Kurt Connors. New cast. Mads Mikkelsen as Sergei Kravinov or Craven the Hunter. Mm. Norman Reedus as Herman Schultz, or the Shocker. And Paula Patton as Sally Avril. Directed by Hideo Kojima. <laughs> <laughs> it's based on a dream by Hideo Kojima. <laughs> and Peter Front. <laughs> so at that point in time, Mads Mikkelsen had been in King Arthur and Casino Royale, so he's not huge at this point, but he's reasonably well known. Norman Reedus, again, Boondock Saints, Blade 2, but mm, hasn't been walking deadified and everyone knows who the hell he is. And Paula Patton, again, Idlewild, Deja Vu, but then goes on to be in Precious and um, 
uh, Mission Possible, Ghost Protocol and things. The composer, bringing back Danny Elfman, because, I mean, he didn't get on with Raimi very well in 2. They had a bit of a falling out. And I think he was... He was like Christoph, Christopher Young, wasn't it? I think in three, and then but Danny Elfman was kind of involved. I don't remember, but either way, new director shouldn't have that problem again. Spider-Man, Spider-Man Two, every Tim Burton film it seems. Then he goes into do Wanted and Hellboy and all that sort of stuff. Our elevator pitch is: as Peter Parker and Mary Jane adjust to their new life as a couple, balancing the responsibilities of Spider-Man with the difficulties of everyday life, Harry Osborn plots behind the scenes, bringing a deadly new threat to bear. Osborne aims to end Spider-Man's life once and for all, but has he gone too far? Mm, very mysterious. Very different sounding pitches so far as well. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Before the show, you guys were saying, oh, I think we're going the same direction. Nope. Nope. Yes. <laughs> this pleases me. A little behind the scenes, Stuart is convinced that we're going to have some fairly similar pitches. Sounds... I'll be honest. We're really not. Yeah. Which could I be thought, interesting. I thought we would too. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating that we've stuck closer to the original ditched Raimi and you've kept Raimi but gone, jumped gone forward yeah. almost a decade in time very interesting very interesting well that wraps us up for this part of Spider-Man 3 mm. so we'll see you next week where we'll dive deeper into the two teams pitches deeper see you then folks into the web of spider thwip thwip indeed I love you Madam Web <laughs> 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 you guys have got Madam Web